Hey friend, thanks so much for meeting me here at Frothy Monkey in beautiful downtown Franklin, Tennessee. It's a great place to get a good cup of joe and share together in some good conversation. Anyway, be looking at the menu. I know you're new here. Decide what you want. Text it to me. I'm going to go ahead and get in line and place our order. Hey, you're listening to Guat Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission, always advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. Well, I'm sitting here in my office. I call it the bungalow. I'm looking out my office window, and it is a beautiful sapphire blue sky day here in the outskirts of Nashville, Tennessee. Coming from the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex in Texas, we had bluer skies due to the control of pollution, but yet we never had the type of blue skies that I get to enjoy here. So, so thankful. The blue skies come after a really hard uh, series of rains, a lot of flooding here in our region. So I'm thankful that we're doing well, our family's doing well. I hope this podcast finds you doing well as well. (laughs) But anyway, today's episode is episode 94, the title Sardis, the Dirty Church. And the subtitle is also Sardis, the Dirty Church. And you'll see why here in just a minute. But getting right into it, Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 1, the angel says, Write to the angel of the church in Sardis. Thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive but you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die, for I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you have no idea at what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes, and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. In the same way, The one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. This is one of the most severe messages to the seven churches, only rivaled by the coming letter in rotation to Laodicea. All of the info regarding this important first century city is readily available on the web. Historical context is absolutely important, but for the purposes of today's podcast, it's sufficient to say that the city of Sardis was a seat of pagan worship. It was successful in its trade, and it was a spiritually contaminating and deadly influence on the church there. The church was being contaminated by the culture instead of being the agents of transformation Christ expected them to be. The church at Sardis had the reputation of being vibrant and alive, but Jesus reveals publicly that they were in fact dead and only had a last moment hope of resuscitation to life. He directed words of praise only to a few people in their midst, whom he acknowledged that they had not soiled their garments, and he gave them the promise that they would walk with him. What a terrible tragedy regarding the entire body of Christ as a whole, that his church in general was in dire straits and in such need of correction, especially in cities that afforded them the ability to flourish in every way in the work of Christ's kingdom and the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Instead of spiritual growth and advancement, the power of death hung over their congregation. As with all the churches, proper response to Christ's corrective commands brought with it the promise of blessing in the life to come, But rebellion against the chastisement promised certain severe damaging consequences in this life and perhaps the life to come. Christ gives them four commandments to obey in order to leave the spiritual ICU they were in. Commandment number one, 
wake up. There in verse 2, he tells them, wake up, come alive, snap to it, get with it, come to attention. He is communicating to them that they were sedated by greatness. Their sin had led them to a point of lethargy that was on the brink of disaster for them spiritually. Commandment number two, strengthen what remains. Grow stronger and firmer in the sense of those things which reflect the cause of Christ and that eliminate sin. Commandment number three, remember. In other words, to recapture the sacred trust. What Christ has trusted us with demands responsibility. The church at Sardis had unfinished work for the Lord. They had stopped working and started playing in the pig pen of culture. Jesus says, now is the time for diligence and hard work. We will have an eternity in heaven to rest. Commandment number four is to repent. Come out of your comatose state. Turn around and go the opposite direction. What is the opposite direction? Walking faithfully with their Lord and following his command and doing the work of the kingdom. I ask you, how do these destructive things that render us worthless in Christ's kingdom work come to pass? How does the deadly dereliction of duty that results in this severe real threat of devastating chastisement happen? You can take the inverse of these commandments and you have the answer. The first thing is that through sinful engagement with the world, we become spiritually lethargic. No sense of alarm at the wallowing in decay. Secondly, as we engage in the sinful aspects of the world, we become spiritually anemic and weak. And even less resistance to infection, the sin that's around us. Number three, as the sin deepens, we begin to lose sight of the mission that Christ has set before each of us. This present life is about the work of the kingdom, the Great Commission. The mission never changes. People, places, and things change, but what we are to be about never changes. Here's the mission again. Of course, at this point, if you've been a Christian for a while, you may be saying to yourself, yeah, Kenny, yeah, right, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, I get it. But friend, I don't think that most of us really do get it because there are many of us who don't really do it. The mission is about doing. So here it is again. And I mean this for myself as well as for you. This is something we constantly need to have put in front of our minds. It says, Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So sinful engagement is followed by spiritual anemia, resulting in loss of vision, which ends up in the continual rut of sin. No change occurs. Someone has defined a rut as a grave with both ends knocked out. We continue to walk in opposition to the things of the Spirit of God and are cast into the throes of death, walking the razor's edge into total loss of ministry. If you really know Jesus, you can never lose your salvation, but He can definitely cut you off in this life from the presence and power of His Spirit Remember, he says, I'm going to remove your candlestick. That's the threat. Where you are thrown to the walls of this existence, or worse yet, you suffer real death due to your rebellion. Jesus gives the pastor and people in the church at Sardis, who are in filthy clothes, the stern warning, if you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you have no idea at what hour I will come upon you. The breaking in of a thief is used as a word picture for something sudden, surprising, unexpected, and always bad. Jesus gives this same warning again in Revelation chapter 16, verse 5, and both the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter give the same warnings in their writings. We don't know all that Christ meant by this, but we can know that his visitation to the church in Sardis 
was going to be a sudden surprise, a serious, sad life catastrophe. Many of us are wondering if all the present mayhem in the world points to the second coming of Christ and the time of the very end, but I say to that, the more important fact is Christ may come for you today, especially if you are living a filthy life before him. Though real death is all around us as humans, we have the uncanny ability to live with arrogance as if we individually have a guarantee that we will live life into old age. But friend, I remind you, the reality of this life is death is imminent and it's waiting for every one of us. In Georgetown's University Bioethic blog, here's some information they give us about death. The death rate worldwide is 120 people die per minute. 65 million people die each year in the world. That's 178,000 people each day. 7,425 people each hour and 120 people a minute die. In the United States, 2.6 million people die each year. That is 7,123 people each day, 297 people each hour, and five people each minute in the United States die. So we need to walk with a sober mind and listen to what Jesus says to us regarding our life that we live before him. He demands purity. He demands that we walk in raiments of white. Friend, we must decontaminate now, this minute. Remember who it is that is giving this commandment the one who spoke the world into existence and breathed life into man, the same one who spoke life into the dead body of his friend Lazarus by commanding Lazarus to come forth. In John eleven twenty five, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. So friend, the way that we are able to come alive, to snap to, to get on with it, though yet Jesus says that we're in death, is because the one who has the power over life and death is calling us back to life. And so the good news, as hard as this message is today, it is meant to be a message of encouragement and a message of repentance for us to get back on track and to do the work at hand. Friend, if you do, he says you will enjoy eternal access and an audience before God. Jesus said, they shall walk with me. And it's going to be walking in the proper attire. It says in verses four and five, in the proper compliant attire, heavenly raiment, it's clothing that is worthy and proper to be worn in front of a holy, righteous God. Also in verse 5, it says that our name is going to be put on the guest list. It's the picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb, where our name will be written forever in the book of life. And there is no one or nothing that can ever take us out of the Lamb's book of life. And also the promise that is given to each of us is that we'll be the guest of honor and we will be introduced to His Father and his servants, those holy angels. So friend, Jesus very clearly is painting a picture of that first day in heaven to where he hosts the marriage supper of the Lamb for us. And he promises us that he's going to give that white raiment to us. He promises us that our name is going to be featured on the guest book list. We're going to be able to enter into that glorious estate. And he promises us that he's going to announce us personally to his Father and to his holy angels. Friend, God is speaking to you and me today and to his church through his eternal word. Jesus is giving every person who is a Christian the gracious opportunity to self-correct by means of his spirit at work in his children in order to circumvent a painful and damaging visitation from Christ in a direct and forceful way. Jesus wants freedom for us. The question is, do we want freedom for ourselves? Do we really want the life of Christ for ourselves? If so, then we need to wake up and come to our senses, strengthen what is in us that is working for Christ, repent of our sin and our kowtow to culture, 
and go back to the business that we left behind, that we left unfinished in our work for Jesus Christ. And with that, my friend, I bid you peace.